Good morning, Redemption Hill Church. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. If you have your Bible, if you wouldn't mind grabbing it, we're going to pick up where we left off last week in the book of Jonah, chapter 1, starting in verse 7. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? And where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning, Redemption Hill Church, and good morning to anyone who is uh, watching in and listening in who's not a member of Redemption Hill Church. Uh, thank you for uh, clicking on and, and, and taking interest in this particular sermon. And if you want to learn more about Redemption Hill Church, you can go to our website. Uh, it's redemptionhilldsm.org. There's more resources at that particular website. And if you just want to know kind of what makes us tick, uh, what, are the, what are the things that we believe in, uh, that website is a great resource. And of course, you can find us on all the social media outlets. Well, if you haven't been trekking with us um, in our current sermon series, I'm going to let you know where we're at. We're actually in the book of Jonah. It's in the Old Testament. It's what a lot of people call the minor prophets. I like to say that Jonah is a part of a collection of books called the Book of the Twelve. There's 12 minor prophets. And uh, we, we began two weeks ago, and we're going to continue to move uh, into this book. It has four chapters, but we'll probably spend six, seven, maybe eight sermons in the Book of Jonah. Now, before looking at where we have been and where we're going in Jonah, I do want to remind you of the, the greater theme that we find in the entire Bible in which Jonah is operating under. Here's the theme. God is for the nations. The God of the Bible is what we read between Genesis, the first book of the Bible, and Re- Revelation, the last book of the Bible, Uh, God is on mission to redeem his elect people through Jesus Christ. And God's people are from all tribes and tongues and nations. We read that in Revelation 7-9. The story of the entire Bible is the unfolding of God's marvelous mission. And the book of Jonah tells us of a story that helps fill in and fill out kind of the greater story arc of the Bible. 
Um, the first six verses of Jonah, we, in those particular verses, we saw how God placed this call on a prophet to go preach to a bunch of Gentiles, the Ninevites. And, and that indicated for us that God wants to preach a particular message to the nation, so outside of the borders of Israel and those who are ethnic Israel. And so that particular idea helps, helps fit in with what we read all throughout the scriptures. So keep the greater biblical narrative in mind as we continue to journey through uh, the book of Jonah. So before diving in, I want to pray and ask for God's help. And then we're going to see how God uses sinners, <laughs> he uses sinners uh, to accomplish his good purposes. So I'm going to invite you pray with me before we look at God's word. Heavenly Father, um, we want to be a people of faith and not fear, especially as we personally navigate COVID-19. We want to be a people of faith who is on mission, on your mission to live for the advancement of the gospel and the glory of Christ. So in these next few minutes, we trust that by the power of the Spirit that you are at work, even in this COVID-19 context, even as we watch sermons from screens, we know that you are still at work in building your church. So we trust in you, O God. And so help us to have open hearts and an open mind to receive all that you want to feed us. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. My wife, Sharice, um, often says that I could not sense awkwardness if it slapped me in the face. <laughs> it's true, man. Uh, for example, uh, this, this conversation has happened before, like at the Powers household. Uh, we'll, we'll go to a wedding and then, of course, the reception afterwards and there'll be a, a ton of people there they're all in my in my in my view and my my perception is that everyone's having a great time and people are chatting and and then we'll, we'll leave the reception we'll be on the way home and then Sharice will say something like something like this like did you see the tension between you know that person and that person often it could be family dynamics or whatever you know did you see the tension and I'm always like uh no no, no, I didn't, I didn't notice any tension. As a matter of fact, did you have the prime rib? The prime rib was delicious. I mean, that, that's usually my reaction. I just don't sense it. Um, history says I have a hard time just discerning tension between people or internal tension that is just, you know, easily observable. There, there's a blessing in not being able to sense tension from time to time in a room. And of course, there's a sort of a curse for not being able to quickly identify tension in a particular situation. I, I bring up uh, a bit of my personal life because I got to thinking, what is behind tension that people experience, that you experience or I experience, or that people experience with one another? What's behind that? Why does tension exist between people, or why does a person uh, initially become tense? You all probably know what I mean. You know, despite my inability to sense tension from time to time, I think I've been able to identify the tension in the story of Jonah and the sailors that Jonah is interacting with. 
I do think this passage gives us some insight into the source of a person's tension. Uh, Believe it or not, I also think this passage tells us how tension can be resolved. Uh, The source of tension being, you know, what we read here anyways, misplaced fear. The remedy to a person's tension is placing your fear in God who is sovereign over the circumstances that often cause us to experience tension. Last week, we saw God place a calling on Jonah's life. That was Jonah 1-6. to Jonah was like, um, thanks, but no thanks. I'm out. Peace. Gone. And so what does he do? In his foolishness, he tried to flee God. <laughs> and he was fleeing the calling and fleeing God himself by boarding a, a ship to Tarshish. As Jonah fled, he put other people's lives at risk. But what we see is that God was still at work. You know, despite Jonah's foolishness, you know what? God was still at work. He was at work when he called Jonah, and he was at work when God hurled a a great wind onto the ship. Also in verses 1 to 6, we began to see a, a contrast develop. The contrast, as we see, is between Jonah and these Gentile pagan sailors. On the one hand, the, the Gentile sailors we see had a, had, a, had a gut and spiritual reaction when the storm came, right? They prayed and pleaded with their gods for the storm to cease. And remember how Jonah responded? I remember. What did he do? He took a nap. What we see within the contrast is tension developing with the sailors and with Jonah. It's the tension in this story that I, that I want to explore as we move forward into chapter 1. So here's kind of how I'm going to lay out um, this particular chapter. Some, these are some statements that I'm going to be exploring. First, I, wanna, I want to identify the tension. Where is it coming from? Where is it coming from for Jonah? And where is it coming from for these sailors? Then I want to see how this tension develops, right? We've got 10 verses to work through. So how does, how does the tension develop throughout this story? And then I want to ask at the end of this particular message, and really at the end of this particular passage, at the end of chapter 1, is there a resolution to the tension? I think what we're going to find is that the tension that exists in the story and the cause of the tension that exists can also exist in your heart. And it is God's desire that you resolve the tension that might exist in your heart or in your life. The tension the sailors began to feel is because of the storm. Now, that, that's obvious, but needs to be stated clearly. It's because of the storm. Because of the storm, they began to fear for their, fear for their lives. Like, we're going to die. Like, I would feel tension if that was the case for me, right? Uh, Verse 5 introduces the tension. Uh, The mariners, you can think of them as sailors, they were afraid and each cried out to his God. We saw that last week. Of course, we do not read the word tension in this particular passage, but many of you can see the tension just as you read the story, as you see things unfold, as the story develops. What do we see from verse 5? the immediate circumstances of the sailors is the reason why they were, what does it say here, afraid. 
I think it's safe to assume that at some point in your life that you have been confronted by fear and anxiety because of circumstances, things that just are going on in your life, right? Things that you don't necessarily expect to, to go through. I think it's safe to say that you've been afraid at certain points in your life because something outside of you, something that you could not control, was making you feel uncomfortable, putting your life at risk, was, was just haunting you perhaps. I know I've been there. Perhaps you're afraid right now. In this respect, I think you can identify with the sailors and kind of what they're going through in terms of what they feel. Notice the fear of the sailors did not cease when they put their trust in their gods. We have a diverse group of folks, we have a diverse group of sailors who are worshiping different gods, and when they cried out and pleaded to their God, the storm continued. In other words, the path to overcoming fear is pursuing the right place to put your trust. In addition, redefining fear would help and helps these sailors navigate the emotions when the life goes sideways. And same for you, right? How do we define fear? And we're going to get to that in a little bit. But how you define fear is going to help you navigate when circumstances are just hard and when life goes sideways. Even though the gut reaction of the sailors was noble, and I think it is noble, their fear was going to continue because they sought the wrong place to see their fear relieved. The question on the table as this story unfolds is, do these sailors find resolution for their fear? The fear is creating tension. And do they find resolution? Or, or will they continue to live in fear? The tension within Jonah is different. Unlike the sailors, it seems like he, he, Jonah, has no care for the storm. I get the sense Jonah knew he could not run from God and kind of maybe expected the storm. That's what sin does. It blinds us from the truth. I think Jonah was experiencing that. He knew deep down he couldn't run, but here's God at work. The story seems to indicate Jonah wishes the boat would capsize because of the storm. So Jonah does not fear the storm. We do read that Jonah does fear God. After Jonah is woken up from his slumber, he receives a series of questions from the sailors. After the questions, Jonah says to them in verse 9, I am a Hebrew. I fear the Lord. You fear the storm. I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Jonah, a prophet of the creator of the universe, fears that God. Problem is, his actions do not reflect what he fears. His actions do not reflect his faith. That is the problem with Jonah. He has good theology, but bad practice. 
Jonah's inaction because of his fear of God is not because he's at peace. That's not what's going on with Jonah. I fear God, I'm at peace during this storm. That is not what's going on at all. It is because he doesn't care. He is apathetic toward his circumstances. At times, we feel like the sailors, at times, good Christians fear like Jonah. You have good theology. You have a holy fear of the Lord, but your actions contradict your belief. On the surface level, uh, we could call this hypocrisy, right? But I think there's something deeper going on than just adding a label to a person. I think there's more going on here. Sometimes below the surface of hypocrisy is despair, um, self-pity, a sense of brokenness but without a, a hope to see the brokenness restored. If, if you are like Jonah, you fear God but your actions do not reflect your faith, then there is a gospel application problem going on in your life. I think that's what's going on with Jonah. He's, he's not applying his faith to his life. Here's what I mean. Like Jonah, when your faith does not match your actions, you would rather sleep through the storm than face the storm. And when when that happens, you have forgotten the grace of God. You have forgotten the mercy of God. You have forgotten the love of God. Essentially, you, in some respects, have a memory problem. And when you do not remember what God has done for you in Christ, and and there is no chance to apply the remedy then you remain in despair and brokenness. So the point is, and what Jonah needed to remember is to remember. <laughs> remember the testimony God has given you, Christian. Remember from the scriptures the majesty of God as your creator and your sustainer. Res- resolution to your internal tension will only take place when the gospel takes hold and conforms your heart. Again, the question on the table as this story unfolds, will Jonah find resolution? Will the tension in his soul find resolution? Or will he continue to live in despair and brokenness? The questions I'm asking about the sailors, uh, the questions I'm asking about Jonah, are questions we can ask for ourselves. in in different ways, at different points of our lives, we can identify with the sailors or we can identify with the tension in our hearts um, like Jonah. As the story develops, along with the tension, we do see that a sovereign God is at work. Sovereignty of God is on display. In verse 7, after Jonah's woken up from his slumber, the sailors cast lots. Interesting, huh? You can think of casting lots as like, you know, modern day throwing dice or whatever. Uh, now, if you've never thrown dice, uh, even during a board game, you can think of it just simply as a game of chance, right? Perhaps you throw dice and hoping for a specific number so that you can advance your own cause during a particular board game, but in the back of your head, you know exactly what's going on. Uh, you have no idea what number is going to happen, what's, what, what number is going to be rolled. That's kind of what casting lots is all about. There's just no guarantee Well, the sailors had an opposite view of what they were doing in terms of the outcome. Uh, When they cast lots, they were signaling 
this, that sovereignty was at work. Uh, when it comes to casting lots, they were very uh, deterministic. And what happened? It says the lot fell on Jonah, which meant for them, Jonah is the one to blame for the storm. Jonah then goes on to explain after a series of questions that he is a Hebrew. He fears God, not the storm as we've read. And the God he serves made the sea and dry land. That's verse 9. The statement of God being the one who made the sea and dry land would have absolutely jarred the sailors. It's like, okay, so we're going through this storm, Jonah, and the God that you serve is the one who made this storm? Are you kidding me? As a result, we read that the sailors are even more fearful, verse 10. Again, coming into focus is the sailors' gut reaction to the circumstances. They knew that Jonah's sin resulted in the storm, verse 11. I think it's worth pausing for a moment to point out um, that sin can breed unpleasant situations. Of course, we live in a world of trials and tribulation because, because sin has created a general brokenness throughout the world. We, we can go to uh, Genesis 3 and re- read the result of sin entering the world and the brokenness that was created because of sin. But personal sin, your sin, my sin, can create hardship as well. Now, there are times when you go through a trial and it's not because of your sin. You might suffer from a chronic illness, but your suffering has nothing to do with your sin or a lack of faith, right? Like COVID-19 is not because God is looking down and said, ah, I'm raining down COVID-19 because of Sally. That's not what's going on. However, a man who cheats on his wife will feel the effects of his sin, right? It is this latter example uh, the sailors saw clearly. In, in a sense, Jonah committed adultery in his relationship with God, and he was feeling the effects of his sin along with the sailors. And as sin often does, it affects other people. In an attempt to resolve their tension, the sailors... Ask Jonah in verse 11, Hey, you brought this storm on. Now tell us, what should we do to you? Right? How are we going to make the sea quiet down? You know, the sailors do not ask an unreasonable question. I think it's a very reasonable question. But I think Jonah provides an unreasonable answer. Here's the next verse. Jonah says, Pick me up, hurl me into the sea, then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest, this storm, right, has come upon you. Now there are several connections in verse 12 with what we've already read in Jonah, the first 11 verses. Uh, Just as God hurled the great wind upon the ship, verse 4, just as the sailors hurled cargo Over the ship to try to keep it afloat, verse 5, Jonah now tells the sailors to treat him like the cargo. He tells them to hurl him overboard. I also think Jonah's response to the sailors is in line with what we've seen since verse 3. Jonah wants to flee the presence of the Lord. 
Jonah boarded the ship to flee to Tarshish. When the storm began, Jonah went down into the ship to sleep, avoiding the act of God, right? Ignoring the storm. Jonah wants the sailors to throw him overboard, I think, potentially just ensuring his death, fleeing from the presence of the Lord. I said Jonah's response to the sailors is unreasonable because I think he puts the sailors into a moral conundrum. Perhaps I have a too low view of Jonah, right? But I do not think his recommendation to throw him overboard is out of concern for the sailors, but it served his own interests. Full disclosure here. Um, Some pastors and theologians, uh, guys that I read and I love and I appreciate, disagree with me on this particular point and disagree with me on my assessment of Jonah. Um, They say Jonah is a type of Christ who is sacrificing himself to save the sailors. Um, I just think that assessment is too generous. Why? There is nothing in chapter 1 indicating that there has been a heart change by Jonah. There's nothing so far. Even if Jonah's motives to being thrown overboard was out of interest for the Gentile sailors, it it was just a moment of conscience, not of compassion. If anything, it's the sailors who respond with godlike character. The common grace of the sailors initially prevents them from throwing Jonah over. Like Jonah's like, "Throw me over," and the sailors are like, uh, "No, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna row through this storm instead of throwing you overboard." Like that's where compassion came in. Instead of killing Jonah, they wanted to preserve his life. Once again, the contrast between the unbelieving but righteous actions of the sailors is coming against the believing but unrighteous actions of Jonah. The sailors, I think, were all about preserving life, and Jonah's the one who wanted to take life. As we read in verses 14 and 15, because the, the sailors did not take Um, action and throw Jonah overboard, the storm only worsened. Worsened to the point where the sailors had no choice or everyone was going to die. They had to throw Jonah overboard. It was their last resort. But in a remarkable twist, the sailors began to call out to Jonah's God. They throw Jonah overboard and then immediately the storm stops and they call out to Jonah's God. Here's verse 14. Therefore they called out to the Lord. That particular word right there, Lord, is Yahweh, the covenant name of God. O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not his innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they're beginning to acknowledge who God is and who's actually at work in the midst of all that's going on. As I said, the name for God, which the sailors use in verse 14, is Yahweh, the covenant name of God. These sailors make their declaration to the God of the universe. Remember, remember the God who created the sea and the dry land. They make their plea to the God who created all things and sustains all things. And as we read in verse 15, the Lord had mercy on the sailors after Jonah was hurled into the sea. In an instant, after Jonah was chucked over, the sea ceased from raging. The wind stopped. There was peace 
after the chaos. Now, let's ask the question, has the tension been resolved for the sailors and for Jonah? Initially, the sailors were in fear because of the storm, right? That was verse 5. But something remarkable took place. Their fear transferred from the storm to the one who is sovereign over the storm. Verse 16, Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly. For some people, it takes an obvious act of God to waken them up, to awaken their soul to the spiritual realities of God. I think that is what we see in verse 16. There is no denying who caused the storm and who caused the storm to cease. It's better to fear the one who created the storm than the storm itself. I need a pause for another pause here to, to ask the question, what do we mean by fear? Because we see the, the word fear used in different contexts. Uh, we see the word fear used with different intentions, Right? We, even in this passage alone, we see that afraid and fear, same, same Hebrew root word, is being used in different ways. So for a moment, I want to explain the difference between what I think is circumstantial fear, like the storm, and godly fear. Fearing the storm is oftentimes, or it's your circumstances, it's reactive and it's crippling. Fearing God is proactive, reverential, and life-giving. Fearing the storm causes anxiety. Fearing God alleviates anxiety. Proverbs 1.7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. When you fear the storm and your circumstances, guess what? You're going to lack knowledge. And at times, and we know, we know this about ourselves, right? We can be irrational. <laughs> Can't tell you how many times I've been reactional, irrational because I've allowed circumstances to control my fear. It says in Psalm 111, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of, you know, of wisdom. All those who practice it have good understanding. So in light of those particular passages and what we read in Jonah 1, let's use COVID-19 as a test case, right? You can use it as a, as a test case for your life. If you fear COVID-19, it's a possibility, at the very least, that you have responded irrationally to COVID-19. Internally, you've lacked peace. You might hide, perhaps, hoping it all just kind of goes away, right? Like It's, it's kind of like Jonah going down to the ship and being like, okay, if this just goes away, it'll all get better, right? And you know darn well it ain't going to get better. Or you might overreact, right? You know, but regardless of where you're at on the spectrum, your actions match what is going on in your soul, right? You're letting fear the fear of the circumstances to drive you, to control you. Conversely, when you fear God during COVID-19, you trust God for your life while making decisions with, what What do you read in our passages from Proverbs and Psalms? With godly wisdom or godly knowledge. You make preventative and pre pre protective decisions, not because you fear the circumstances, but you have a godly fear of the one who is sovereign over your circumstances. Odd as it may sound, when you have a healthy fear of the Lord, you actually are at peace. 
So, fearing God is much different than fearing the storm. One type of fear builds up. The other type of fear tears down. Now, does the redirecting or redefining of fear for the Gentile sailors resolve their tension? Almost. Here's the rest of verse 16. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord, these sailors, and made vows. I have to make several assumptions, but it seems to me the sailors repented and turned from their gods to Yahweh. As Jewish practice would necessitate, they offered sacrifice. We don't know how you know, Jewish uh, their sacrifices were, but God, remember, sees the heart. And the Lord knows the motive in which they offer their sacrifices. And the vows were made. These vows that were made, we could, we could call them a confession of faith. Granted, these sailors had much to learn about Yahweh, but it's clear they have seen enough. These unlikely Gentile sinners were extended mercy from God. It's interesting. uh, Jonah chapter 1 is going to parallel what we read in Jonah 3. It's almost as if the mercy extended to the sailors is a sneak peek of what is to come when Jonah finally ends up preaching to the Ninevites. But to the question, has the tension been resolved now? Whatever tension existed in the heart of the sailors, in the hearts of the sailors, has been, I think, now displaced with reverential fear. And one would expect peace. Now, what of Jonah? Was the tension in his life resolved? At least what we read in in chapter 1? Nope. Here's verse 17. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. So he's thrown overboard. The Lord appoints a great fish. The fish swallows Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. So the tension remains in Jonah's life, in his heart. Uh, Notice, however, in this particular verse, another sovereign act of God. It is the Lord who appointed the fish. Here's what Charles Spurgeon said about this verse as he's reflecting on all of Jonah, all the book of Jonah. God prepared a storm. He prepared a fish. And we afterwards read that he prepared a gorg. And he prepared a worm in the great things of life and in the little things. God is always present. Charles Spurgeon says it so well. God is always at work. Even though Jonah could see the hand of God at work, you know, he remains rebellious, right? That's why he has tension. He's still rebelling against God. There's nothing in chapter 1 that tells us Jonah learns his lesson. Nothing in this chapter tells us Jonah is going to rightly respond to the call of God. All we have seen from Jonah is determination to flee from the presence of the Lord. 
Now that we've gone through all 17 verses in chapter 1, I want, I want to show you a string of movements of what it looks like to foolishly flee from God. You might remember, after God called Jonah to preach to Nineveh, it says in verse 3, he went down to Joppa. In verse 3, went down is used twice in the Hebrew, indicating Jonah was going away from God. After Jonah boarded the ship, he went down to the lowest part, trying to flee the presence of the Lord. And in verse 17, the same Hebrew word is used to say, Jonah went down into the belly of this giant fish. In all of Jonah's attempts to flee, he could not escape the sovereignty of God. He went away and away and away. You know where he went away into? Right into God. He couldn't escape God. So has the tension in Jonah been resolved up to this point? No. As we continue to read Jonah, we will continue to ask the, that question. Is there tension? Has it been resolved? Will this man of faith match his actions with what he believes? Will they come together? And will he live rightly for his God? Well, for that answer, you need to stay tuned. Before closing, I think it's important to mention a future tension that will be resolved, verse 17, and is indeed has been resolved. Throughout Jonah 1, we have seen God sovereignly at work for his good and for his glorious end, right? He, he wants to offer mercy to the Gentiles through repentance. As we saw two weeks ago, Jesus uses verse 17 to explain how all of God's elect have been redeemed through his death and resurrection. You see, Christian, before redemption and salvation, you had an eternal tension, you are dealing with tension. It's a tension created by sin. Sin exposes rebellion. Sin exposes tension, which runs high for anyone who does not belong to Christ. Sin exposes our weaknesses. Perhaps you're watching and you sense the tension. Well, if you're a Christian, the plea here is to turn back to your Lord. Remember what he has done for you. Remember. The Lord died to alleviate all that tension, to take away the fear that you have because of your circumstances. Remember and apply the gospel to your life. Well, perhaps you're watching and you do not know the Lord. You're asking the question, how can the tension that exists in my life because of sin be resolved? What we read is it's through repentance of your sin and faith in Jesus Christ in which you can be forgiven of your sin. Repentance is turning away from your sin. That's what God wanted for Nineveh. That's what the Gentile sailors did. They, they turned away from their sin. Faith in Christ means your sin has been nailed to the cross along with Jesus. Faith also means knowing Jesus rose from the grave to show sin and death have no claim on his life. At Redemption Hill Church, we call this the gospel. Believing in the gospel of Jesus Christ removes the tension created by sin. It squashes the fear that exists in your life. 
That fear that has been created because of circumstances. In exchange, what do you get? You receive the peace, hope, and joy that comes from believing in Jesus. In exchange, you experience the grace, the mercy, and the love of Christ. Verse 17 is not a fictitious myth about a giant whale swallowing a man. It is about God providentially at work to see his elect people redeemed through the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ. As for Jonah, we will see next week whether he comes to terms with the call of God in his life. But until next week, let us not flee from God, but flee from our sin and right into the loving arms of our Savior. Let's pray. Father, pray that your word would change lives and that those who are currently living in fear, for my brothers and sisters who are watching or listening, that they would have greater faith in you. And for those who do not know you, who, who know the tension that exists inside of them because of sin, that by the power of your spirit you would draw your people to yourself, prove yourself once again to be faithful and true and redeem your elect people. So until next week, I pray blessing upon Redemption Hill Church and blessing upon those who have watched and listened that we may trust you more every single moment and every single day of our lives. Pray this in the only name we can pray, in Jesus' name, amen.